Hello, everyone. Maureen Quende here, your podcast host, learning leader, researcher, speaker, coach, and consultant. It's exciting to be back on the show this week for another empowering episode with our special guest today, and this is no one other than Delia Abbas. Thank you so much, Dahlia, for honoring our invitation to be on the show. I just um, really excited you're here and I'm really grateful for this opportunity. So I know our listeners are also excited and eager to know who you are. And so let's um, get into it. Do you want to get us started? Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Thank you so much, Maureen, for the warm welcome and the invitation. Really happy to be here. And I know how helpful um, others' inputs were when I made my pivot, so happy to do this. Um, so just a quick introduction. Um, I'm Dahlia. I come from a background of five years of teaching. Um, at one point in my career, I decided that as much as I love teaching and as rewarding as I found it, I wanted to try something else. I wanted to get into corporate, and I wanted to leverage my background in education to continue to be in the world of education, but do something mm -hmm. a little bit different. So right now I'm an instructional designer for a company called Springboard. We create mm -hmm. boot camp um, courses for individuals who are looking to pivot their careers. So if you want to become a software engineer or a um, data scientist, we design courses to mm -hmm. help you understand what you need to know and prepare for the career pivot. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. You know, I've shared on the show before how I got into learning and development. And of course, I did it accidentally, uh, like most people do. Um, I was working for a corporate organization and then accidentally I became a trainer. And, and here we are today um, uh, in the field. So I'm not going to spend so much time talking about that. You can check out episode two of the show to listen and learn more about my journey. And so today we're going to learn more about Dahlia's journey, how, um, you know, she can share with us that if you can share how you became interested in learning and development. I mean, it's exciting that you've been in, in, in teaching for five years, but how did you even think about, you know, even getting into the field? How did it all yeah. come about? Yeah, that's a good question, Maureen. And I appreciate you sharing that background that um, you accidentally found yourself into it because <laughs> I hear that a lot. I hear people who accidentally just are like, oh, I, I guess I'm a learning designer. I guess I'm an instructional <laughs> designer. Yeah. <laughs> My pivot was a little more intentional, but I would say it wasn't completely mapped out from the start. So, mm -hmm. you know, that they say is generally you should stay at a job until you feel like you've stopped learning. Um, mm -hmm. So after five years as a teacher, I kind of felt like I had my groove on. I knew what I was doing and it stopped being... Um, an interesting experience and in I didn't feel like I was learning so much each and every day. So mm -hmm. I thought I want to do something with education and with technology. Now, right. exactly what that was, I wasn't so sure yet. So what I started to do, I lived in Silicon Valley at that time, is mm -hmm. I started to apply for positions that had that sort of title, right? Like mm -hmm. um, technology specialist, um, subject matter teacher, subject matter expert, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I applied for a lot of those positions and I found that I wasn't getting any calls back. I wasn't, you know, really getting much of a response. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, you know, they say hindsight is 2020. <laughs> I see... <laughs> 
there are so many things I could have done to make that job search a more impactful one. And I'm going to go through those a bit later um, yeah. in our conversation today. Um, but basically what I had come to Maureen was, you know, perhaps I need a master's degree to, to make this mm-hmm. career pivot. Mm-hmm. Now, before I talk a little bit about this, I want to say that I don't think it's absolutely necessary to get a master's degree to make this pivot from teaching to instructional design. Mm-hmm. I think it's very feasible to use just the teaching experience you have in addition to some of the own research and work and professional development you do on your own time and pivot straight into instructional design without spending, you know, tens of thousands of dollars and a ton of time outside of work. Mm-hmm. However, I figured out that that might be the best pivot for me. And I then proceeded to do my master's degree at the Harvard Graduate School of Education mm-hmm. in um, education technology. So when I got into that program, I started learning about the different things people in education technology do. And Mm -hmm. I came across the sector of instructional design and learning design. And honestly, it just seemed like the perfect fit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Combining what I already had known through my years of teaching on what makes good education, what makes good instruction, but also learning more about adult learning and, you know, cognitive science and what makes people motivated and engaged throughout the learning experience. Mm -hmm. So did my year. And throughout that year, I did a bunch of professional development on my own. I did a bunch of Mm -hmm. reading on my own. I created a learning portfolio and basically did a bunch of stuff to make me more employable. Um, And again, I think you could do all of the things that I did to make myself Mm -hmm. more employable without a master's degree. But the master's degree did help me. Absolutely. Um, okay. mm-hmm. So by the end of that program, I, you know, found myself in a position where I was doing interviews with companies. I knew how to position myself and talk about my past experience mm-hmm. and talk about how that background in education would really provide an enriched perspective to mm-hmm. the different positions I was applying for. And I landed my first job as an instructional designer for um, a big company in San Francisco called Zendesk. Mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah. So like um, at any point do you like, because some people kind of like do it gradually, like, okay, while I'm teaching, I'm going to start looking, you know, and some people go cold turkey and like, this is it. I'm no longer <laughs> um, teaching, but it looks like you had an intentional path and you were mapping it out. And you had it like, you know, all figured out in a way because you had, you seem to have like all the pieces of the puzzle. You have the, 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 the masters, you have the portfolio, you have everything in place that eventually helped you land the job that, you know, from the onset, you were just applying for jobs and you were not getting, you know, any call back from those. So it seems like when you made those changes, that's what really, those are the things that really helped you to transition from teaching to ID, right? Absolutely, Maureen. You're totally right. The portfolio was a really big deal. Um, the network, mm-hmm. honestly, like applying to positions, like you said, and just kind of like doing it in a more, um, I would say, engaged manner. You said that some people will apply while they're teaching, others mm-hmm. will kind of like do it in a gradual way. I actually recommend that. I think it's a great idea, like while you're teaching, during the summer, during breaks 
to really take the time and look mm-hmm. at the positions, look at the different instructional design positions and try to find a way in. See if like, you know, with your LinkedIn profile, you have a shared connection. Mm-hmm. Um, see if that person can talk to you a little bit about their job, apply. And when you apply and you don't hear back or you get a rejection, ask mm-hmm. why, ask what it is about your credentials. I can't tell you the number of times I've asked for feedback from people. Sometimes they don't respond, which is fine. But in those rare moments where I have gotten a response, that insight has been so useful for me into optimizing what I do the Mm -hmm. next time I apply to a company. And that really helped me with this pivot from teaching to instructional design. Yeah, that's that's awesome. You know, we're seeing many teachers transition from teaching to instructional design. And I know it's not an easy transition. Seeing you go through it is just your own experience as you're sharing it. You know, this is really uh, inspiring. In my instructional design program, I took like classes with many of those who kind of like focused on K-12 and who were teachers. And I do see the ID, uh, you know, teaching intersectionality. So many people think it's like way apart. Actually, it's not. There is just so much in common that I do see how easy the transition can be if someone could just be able to focus on those key points that um, I believe you're gonna be talking about um, very soon. So you made a successful transition and are loving it from what I hear, um, but I can imagine the transition is not as, it's not as seamless for all. So what would you, I know you've given some tips already, what would you be uh, willing to share? Like just five tips that worked for you that you can share with anyone out there who's listening and who would like to make a leap and don't even know how to go about this. What are some of the five things that to you really stood out that would, if they follow them, it might really make a difference? Absolutely. That's another great question. And I do agree with you. I think there is so much overlap with teaching and instructional design. And it's just about, you know, really doing your research and uh, making sure you kind of have heard from other experiences. So in terms of five tips, five things, specific, concrete things that I think make the process so much easier. Mm -hmm. One, and I'm sure you would agree with this one, Maureen, I would say to join as many learning design or instructional design communities as you can. Yes, totally. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's how you and I met, right? Yes, absolutely. Facebook groups, Twitter pods, Slack channels. These are your best friends. Like people are posting not only like links to job posts on these communities all the time, but Mm -hmm. they're having discussions about instructional design. They're talking about different strategies they use in their courses. And Mm -hmm. that exposure, just, you know, that daily exposure to the language, to the processes, the systems, will really help you as you start to kind of get your feet wet. Um, mm-hmm. And it helps you get to get to know the right people that will help you make um, that, that step, you know. And Maureen, you and I are not the first people <laughs> who have made this career pivot. And when yeah. you join those communities, you will find people like you. Um, and that is yes. just proven to be invaluable. Um, The other thing I would recommend is working on your personal brand. And I know for so many teachers, right, they're very humble. Um, They don't really (laughs) like to put themselves out there. And that's fine, right? I don't mean you have to like, you know, create, you know, this big hub about yourself. But what I mean is you really need to maintain a polished and updated LinkedIn profile page, right? Mm -hmm. You need to work on that portfolio that you and I were talking about. Yeah. 
I know that a lot of people are intimidated about the idea of a portfolio. They say, well, I don't have an e-learning module to put up. You don't even have to start with those items. You can put anything that you've worked on in education to show that that overlap that you were talking about earlier to show like, I have expertise in education, right? Just, you know, post to syllabus and then, you know, put your, your, your thoughts on how, what made you put that syllabus together, you know, post some lesson plans, any artifacts that you can provide that give evidence to the person that's interviewing you or trying Mm -hmm. to inform you that you are a competent and professional individual will definitely help you. Absolutely. I I definitely agree. Um, I've even had a chance to work, you know, in higher ed um, as an ISD, a senior ISD. And I can tell you that, you know, you do even work on things like syllabuses and things that if you were a teacher, you'd be like, well, I can't do this job. Yes, you can. It's just like so related. I was like, it's just crazy. People just have to take the leap. Yeah. Just go ahead. What's 100%. the third the third tip? Yeah. 100%. <laughs> You're right. It's taking the leap and it does take courage. It is intimidating. I think like <laughs> with teachers, you probably can relate to this. The first and second year of teaching is really difficult, right? There's a lot of language get used to, a lot of behavior management. Um, but once you, you know, hit past that first year and you get to your second, third, fourth, fifth, it's so comfortable and you get really good at it. So I know it can be intimidating to go back into that space where you're kind of relearning everything. Yeah. Um, but I think it can be worth it, especially if it helps Absolutely. you kind of, you know, do something different. Um, and in that case, you were talking about like, you know, people looking at a syllabus and saying like, oh, I can't do this. I think it's really important to be very self-aware and to take stock of the skills that you do have, the skills you need to further strengthen, and those you need to build from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Um, And an example of this I can give is like me personally, I've never really had a strong visual design or graphic design skill set. Now, this isn't needed for all instructional design jobs, as you know. But oftentimes we do have to create artifacts, whether that be on storyline, on PowerPoint, um, just different artifacts that require a bit of a graphic and visual design skill set. Mm-hmm. Now, I recognize that that skill set of mine was quite weak. So I didn't necessarily say, like, okay, I need to do a master's in graphic design. I looked for, you know, e-learning online and found very affordable things. I found a lot of like free online programs. I did do some um, paid programs with um, the Association for Talent Development. They help kind of like fill in those gaps. Um, and, and that really helped me and gave me kind of a good foundation. So if you are really good at saying like, okay, I'm great with the principles of adult learning. I am great the, with the principles of cognitive science and how they're related to people, to how mm-hmm. people learn. But, you know, maybe my graphic design skill set could use some work. Maybe I could learn how to use Storyline or Articulate. You can very easily do that with just a few hours, you know, for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, So being very aware of your skill set and what you need to improve upon is really useful. Yeah, I would agree even more. I I mean, like visual design, I have a podcast that... um, um, we, like uh, one of the guests, Connie Malamat, she talked about um, visual design. And you also mentioned ATD, which has been like huge, a huge part of my career. 
um, which span over 15 years, I've been with ATD, that you would have so many programs, so many workshops, so many things that you can learn and really improve on those skills that um, Della is talking about. So those are great tips. Honestly, it would really help you stand out. Thanks, Doreen. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to see that you also, um, you know, have had ATD be a big part of, of your life and your professional development. It's definitely helped me. And I think their, their offerings are phenomenal. So really yeah. great for people like people who, you know, were like us and are making that pivot. Yes. I have two more tips for you. So my fourth tip is informational interviews. Gosh, these are so yes. important. <laughs> so this is another place, right, where you really have to get courageous and take the leap. And, you know, when I was starting out, I would literally go on LinkedIn, find the companies that I would love to be in, and just cold message, like a bunch of people and just introduce myself. And, you know, it wouldn't obviously be like, I wouldn't copy paste the same message to everyone, but I would position it as, and genuinely, right? Like I'm very interested in the work that you do. And I am an aspiring instructional designer myself. I'd love to set up some time to chat about the work mm -hmm. you do. And, you know, these conversations aren't one where aren't ones where you're asking people for a job. You're, you're having a conversation with them. You're learning about um, what they do. You're kind of getting an idea of the kind of impact they have on their jobs. Um, and most people in my experience are very happy to, to have a conversation with you. Now, some people will not respond to you and that's just something you have to get used to and be okay with. Because I will say that the insight that you will gather from the people who do respond to you will be so useful just in terms of like knowing what skills you need to build, knowing how mm -hmm. to market yourself. I spoke to so many people who were like, I spoke to in particular um, a woman at Google who also used to be a teacher and was wow. now an instructional designer. Yeah. And the conversation I had with her was so useful because she was just telling me it's about taking the skills that you did as a teacher and just mm -hmm. repositioning them into like what, instructional designer like lingo looks like yeah. and like you know talking it out with her and having her give feedback on I had I sent my resume to her and she looked at it and she gave me some feedback that was so useful and then the other aspect to this story is months later when you know after the conversation there was an opening on her team and she sent me an email was like hey we have an opening like I talked to you you oh, seem wow. really yeah, you know, and so I, at that that's point, great. it's great, right? I had already had another job, but what I'm trying to say is these conversations will lead to opportunities. In yes, the long run. absolutely. That's huge. Wow. Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Go get those connections. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so important. You never it's know. so important. And like for all the people who are listening, if you're intimidated, like start with me, like I'm happy to to help you with that first informational interview. There and, you and go. That, <laughs> <laughs> that, absolutely. And that brings me to my last tip, Maureen, and I, I'm sure you'd agree with me on this one. Um, and that is when someone asks you for help professionally, whether you're still a teacher or you become an instructional designer or learning designer, always give them your time. This is mm -hmm. like something that, when I was on an informational interview with one woman, um, this is actually a tip that she gave me. She was like, yeah, I'll talk to you. I'll look at your resume, but you have to promise me that you will always give someone your time if they ask you. 
And I have taken that to heart. If someone asks me to look at the resume, if someone asks me um, just to get on a call to talk about my job, if someone Mm -hmm. asks me what I thought about my master's degree, I'll send them an email. I never say no to people. And the reason being like one, like you're being a good human when you do that, right? You're paying it forward. You're paying it forward. You're paying it forward, exactly. And two, you have to know that like, you're in that position now where you're asking for help. And it's kind of like making a promise with the universe, right? Like mm-hmm. I am seeking so many people's help, but when I get there, I will help others. And this is a way that, you know, from an opportunistic point of view, you can continue to build and nourish that network. These people Absolutely. that you have conversations with, you know, they're going to be instructional designers and learning designers and learning leaders all over the world. And you never know when you need some feedback on something you're working on, maybe you're pivoting into a different part of instructional design. You have all these buddies that you've helped out and you've talked to and have built this network at the same time. This is, these are just great tips. I mean, those, you nailed it. Thank you so much, Dali. You know, this, this, this tips that you shared with us today, there's just, I mean, I don't see anything else to add because you've like covered everything and when we think about teaching, I love teaching. You know, I believe it's an honorable profession. And when I see my kids' teachers, I have two small kids. I love those teachers. I dove my hat to them because they're doing amazing work. But I also believe that we should live our dreams while we're alive, right? So our dreams, our passions are worth pursuing, whatever they may be. Even in this case, it might be instructional design. So if you're a teacher, and you feel that, you know, uh, instructional design is your passion, go for it. You know, many people are making that transition. Do not, you know, be afraid. You know, the fear is not going to go away. It's just for you to get the courage to deal with the fear and go and get your dreams. So congratulations for taking the bold step, um, Dahlia. And thank you for encouraging anyone who's listening out there and uh, she can be your go-to person. If you like to reach out to her, she can be able to assist you. She's paying it forward also by being on this podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you know, this is kind of going from helping one person and going to reaching out to the masses, right? Because many people listen to this podcast. So then that way is reaching out to more people. And if they're kind of shy, reaching out, to you at least they have the tips they have these tools that can help them to move forward so thank you for doing that and we always wrap up our podcast with our signature question so depending on what the topic you know uh, of conversation is we would ask you know what empowerment means to you as a guest or regarding that topic so today we're talking about transitioning from teaching to instructional design so i'm going to ask you um, our wonderful guest to wrap us up by telling us what does empowerment mean to you as an instructional designer now? Yeah, thank you, Maureen. And I couldn't agree with you more on on my admiration for teachers. Um, And I would say linking that, my respect and admiration for teachers, I would say empowerment is doing what we were doing in our classes, Maureen, we were teaching 20, 30, 40 students, so important, so impactful, right? Mm -hmm. And taking those learnings and being able to help hundreds and thousands and, you know, dare I say it, millions of learners with the learning that we build to scale, which becomes a possibility 
in instructional design, right? So defying borders, defying limitations. And, you know, in many cases, it's helping those same students you help in the classroom if you choose to go into K through 12 instructional design. Um, so that's what empowerment means to me, right? Really being able to use the toolkit of an instructional designer to, to change the lives of so many people at one time with effective learning. That's powerful. Thank you so much for wrapping us up. I'm so excited for you. I love your energy and I know you are doing great work as you continue to add value to your organization and vice versa. So I want to thank you again and thank you for dropping the golden nuggets this morning to our listeners out there. I would like to wish you the best of luck as you, you know, uh, transition in this uh, instruction design journey. I want to wish you the best of luck in your personal life as well. And to our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in to episode 20. And I hope to see you in the next one. Thanks again.